All the music used in this episode fall under fair use under Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976. Allowances made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, and reporting. Thank you. Hi guys, it's Kylie. Um, just wanted to give a quick little warning, like my first episode. Um, there are some mic issues in this episode on my side. It sounds really good, and then it goes, then it dips for like a few minutes, and then um, it's back. Um, this was my second recording of this episode, so we were, I was still trying to figure it all out. But thank you for your patience. Nothing crazy, but you will notice it. Um, and yeah, see you guys at the end of the episode. Did you get COVID this holiday season or? No, no. you did. Okay, like I just assumed you got COVID because it seems like you just keep getting it. Oh my um, God, but... shut up. I haven't had it in a year. Okay, but you got it twice though. Okay, but I had the so OG got... COVID. I had the That's OG true, COVID in March Omicron, 2020. And that was like my second one. I feel like that at least. Oh my That's what God, I'm saying. shut the hell up. Hello, 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 and welcome back to My Records and Me, the show where I have people in my life and we talk about the music that connects us, the music that we love, and today I have my good friend from college, Sam on. Sam, say hi. Greetings. I hope you're all doing well out there. (laughs) So, plenty of reasons why Sam is on today, but one of the main ones is me and Sam always talked about in college, doing something like this, doing like a radio talk show. Um, which probably this is not, but it's kind of similar about music at our, at the radio station at, at UConn, WHUS, but we never did it just, you know, time got away and we were busy. But, um, what I, we always talked about this, doing something like this. And, and I love the way that Sam appreciates music and it's so different from the way I do. And it's so good to hear his perspective on things. So thank you, Sam, for coming. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about like, we did always talk about like the, the uh, like starting a show on Wuss or something and like, but like we were so busy with um with our our, our group Perg um that like we just never had the time. It was funny. I actually remember I I did do like the application process and even did like my own show. Like I did a whole sample show, like I recorded it, sent it to him, so I could finally get my clearance to like actually do a radio show. And they emailed me back. <laughs> And they were like, oh, sorry, you know, you did, you devoted like 45 minutes to this, but because you didn't say like, you're listening to Wuss, like station, whatever, at the beginning of the end, we're going to have to have you do it again. I'm like, I just don't have time for this. Like, fuck you guys. Like, I, like, (laughs) I put in the effort. It just didn't work out. And, and, you know, that's okay. But I'm glad we're catching up with it. I did that senior year because I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, whatever. I'm like, um, and I got to show, um, I got to appear on a couple of other people's shows as a guest, so. Um, but I guess we're catching up for it also now, so that's good. I'm happy you put this together. I'm very happy about it, too. And with one hell of an album, we're having this conversation with, with All right. Things Must Pass by George Harrison. So this album, All Things Must Pass, I actually learned so much about just this album, doing this research that I had no yeah. idea about. And the first thing is, this is actually George Harrison's third studio album. He released two albums in the 60s. Obviously, not with the Beatles by himself. I did look at them, did not write down the names. I probably should have. 
So this was released as a triple album in November 1970, and it was his first solo work after, obviously, the big breakup of the Beatles, which was in April of 1970. So the singles, My Sweet Lord, What Is Life, and a lot of these songs were like Beatle rejects, which is kind of like crazy thinking back and like looking at it now, especially with the new release of the Get Back sessions and that more extended footage. It's pretty, like, it was pretty crazy to me to watch, like, George Harrison pitch All Things Must Pass to, to like, John and, and Paul and them just be like, no. I, I Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. And I think um, one of the, um, at least for me, like, this is the standout, like, Beatles mm-hmm. solo album, like, as, like, a singular work. I completely agree. Maybe John Lennon's, like, entire solo career or Paul McCartney's solo career with Wings and then, you know, everything else he did. Maybe that like quality of work, like their extended quality of work over time might be, and their consistent output might be better than George's. But like as a single like solo work, I think it is the defining like Beatles solo album. Like nothing compares to it. You know what I mean? I completely agree. I was actually thinking about this because I'm a huge, huge Paul McCartney fan um, of his solo work and his work with Wings. And like, obviously like Ram, like I think of like a, a, as a whole, like a piece of work, like Ram is a great album all the way through. But mm. I don't think it even compares to All Things Must Pass. Like, like great album. I love it a lot. Mm-hmm. But in just terms of like one commercial success and like body of work, I think All Things Must Pass like blows, you know, a singular album by John Lennon or a singular album by Paul McCartney completely out of the water. Right, exactly. And it's funny too, because I think, it, I believe, I could be uh, wrong in this, but I, I believe it was the first, like, I actually didn't know that he had released um, albums while he was still in the Beatles, so like, like while um, they were still a band. Yeah. But this was the first, like, album that, you know, a singular member had released after they had broken up, I believe. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. So, like, him to just come out of the blue as, like, the quiet you know, guy in the band um, and just like drop like major fire, like bam. And like, it, like I think it, surpri- it surprised everybody. And I wonder, I, I, oh, like, definitely. I gotta wonder, like, especially um, like John Lennon and Paul McCartney, like what they were thinking, like hearing the songs on the album, because I know they, they definitely listened to it. Um, oh, yeah. Like you gotta like what did they, what, like what went through their head as they were like oh we said no to this and look like what's happening with it you know exactly. what I mean? I think what I was reading to also a lot of the information I got to just just to give some credit um, to the to the sites that I was like doing a lot of research on um, Beatles.fandom.com and Beatlesbible.com shout out to them because I got a lot of information from them but when I was reading on these sites I'm pretty sure that. Um, this was in terms of, again, post the Beatles breaking up, 
um, Wings or Paul McCartney didn't reach this commercial success till at least I think 1973 with I can't think of the Wings album that came out that year but right um, didn't reach like as commercial success till like three years later and you know based off my McCartney knowledge McCartney one and Ram I think came out in 70 and 71 like I mean I wonder what Paul McCartney was thinking like he he had just dropped these two albums and like just this again just like like when I think of all things must pass I think it's like it's like a monster of an album like it's just so long but it's like every song is just so good right and I think it's actually the first ever released triple album I could be uh incorrect on that as well um but you know all things must pass um introduced I think signature like kind of guitar style mm-hmm. the side guitar and spiritual and religious themes the original vinyl release consisted of two lps of songs and then the third was the informal jams quote unquote which was titled apple jam so during the final year of his life he oversaw um, a successful reissue campaign to remark the 30th anniversary of the album's release so that was in 2000 and then after this release the recording industry association of america certified the album six times platinum and then among its appearances on Critics' Best Album List, All Things Must Pass was ranked 79th on the Times, the 100 Best Albums of All Time in 1993. Uh, the Rolling Stone um, placed it 368th on the magazine's 2020 update of the 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. And in 2014, All Things Must Pass was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Should have happened a while ago, but... Probably, yeah. So we're going to split this album into two episodes because it is a monster of an album with 23 songs um we're gonna tackle the first half in this episode and then tackle the second in the next episode so when did you first hear this album sam so it's interesting because i usually like especially impactful pieces of music i typically associate it with like a time in my life or a um a specific era or even like one specific yeah. memory my early, one of my earliest memories is driving down 84 mm-hmm. towards southington i don't know why i remember that specifically but um my dad's 2003 ford ranger they're listening to like uh, an iron maiden record called brave new world and like whenever i hear that album i just think about like that that um like 20 minute drive but what's interesting is that i don't have that with this album i think it's because like it's so huge and it's so much to digest in one sitting true um that i ne- like i kind of first got introduced to it piecemeal with like a couple of songs like obviously everybody like has heard the singles or whatever my roommate in college my best friend ian um he's in a band and he's like a big beatles fan and he always had a great sound system like we listened to fine line on his speakers like when it first came out yes, which we is did. a great time we did yeah um just kind of hearing that like and then piecing it together for myself and then finally saying like you know what putting the hammer down time to be productive let me finally let me like like sit through this whole thing and like kind of digest it. Yeah. Um. So it must have been sometime in college, but I can't really give you an exact timeline. Um. You know. What about you? No, same. I I completely am with you, and it's like I feel like a lot of like really music that I hold like very close to my heart or that's really impactful to me, I could tie down to a very specific time, a very specific experience. But one with this album, I knew the singles. Like, I knew My Sweet Lord, I knew All Things Must Pass. Those were really the only two songs I knew before last summer. So last summer, and Sam knows this, I went through this huge, like, discovery of, like, Paul McCartney's, like, um, like 
solo work that wasn't just like you know all the wing songs you hear on um you know rock classics and really kind of diving into his 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 solo work and in that I also got more into the Beatles' work again more of those b-sides more of the stuff that you don't really hear about that aren't on the greatest hits but are just like such like great freaking songs and I was like I knew George Harrison like obviously I knew Again, those singles, I Got My Mind Set On You, I Knew About the Cloud Nine um, album. And I don't know like what motivated me or what pushed me to even listen to this album, but it just happened. I think it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, I should just listen to it. And I think also last summer, 2021, that was a year after the 50th anniversary too. So a lot of more of these like exclusive content came out. So I have to say last summer was really the first time I like, sat down listened to it all because i really hadn't done it before Mm -hmm. so like when you like hear this album or think about this album like what does it mean to you i was thinking about that um and it's tough to kind of distill it down into like a simple like uh i guess bumper sticker phrase um because there's so much like there's so many songs there's so much going on um the content of the songs like there's not a um it's not like a concept album or like um Oh, no. Yeah. And there's not like necessarily one specific theme, like running through the whole thing, um, but just a bunch of different themes. And I guess like kind of reflections about how his life was at the time, what he was going through, um, yeah. that kind of thing. So for me, I guess it's a couple of little things. Um, it definitely is a um, it's a celebration of life and the people who make it worth living. It's a perspective on spirituality that appeals to me, which is saying a lot, uh, if you know me. Um, as a um, recovering uh, Catholic and a spiritually recovering con- and generally spiritually confused person. And uh, I think it's also like, at least musically, it's a masterclass in production and uh, songwriting, especially when you consider the time period in which like this was made and the, you know, um, the equipment they were using to record this, even though it was like top of the line at the time, obviously, because it's like this, this guy was in the Beatles. So just listening to it now, and I think especially like listening to the 50th anniversary edi- edition, it's kind of funny because like one of the main themes of the, of the, um, of the album is that things uh, don't endure and that everything leaves mm-hmm. eventually, but it's kind of funny. And um, that he made something that I think if anything could in- endure indefinitely, okay. it's like this piece of work, um, transcends time, which is just kind of funny to think about. Yeah. So I think that's the general gist of what if I can compel it into a somewhat, you know, idea that's what it means to me yeah I, I agree with all those things but like to me I think it really also shows it's like I think a beauty of music that I don't know really exists anymore where it's like when you think about like the people who played on this album like Eric Clapton, Bob Dylan, Phil Collins, Billy Preston, Peter Frampton, Ringo it's just like a bunch of dudes getting together and playing some really good fucking music and like obviously I agree like with like all the like what it like spiritually means and obviously all the messages but like it also just like really represents to me it means to me it's like I think this era of music that I don't really think exists anymore or it's like when I think back to this time I'm like I'm thinking about like faces when you've got like fucking Ronnie Wood and, and Rod Stewart or like all these just like these 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 groups or traveling Wilburys where again it's it's again like George Harrison and a bunch of dudes just playing music. And I think that the beauty of like 
like I said, the industry, I don't think really exists anymore. So I think it's like a, like a, just a relic of time, like a relic in history of, of just that era. Yeah. It's a time capsule. And I think it's interesting too, that like a lot of the feeling that like he, like George is feeling that like he wanted, I guess it was almost um, like, I don't know if it's necessarily like totally anti-commercial, but he was like, like he's been to the top of the mountain. Like he was looking for something more than commercial success. He just wanted to make the, the music that he wanted to make. And like indirectly that led to him having like the biggest commercial success of his career. For me, the intention wasn't necessarily to make something like so commercially, commercially viable, which I guess is like, at least I don't know, in a lot of music, I, I don't know, maybe the motivation is a little bit different. What do, what do you think? I think, I think, it, I think it could depend on the artist, but I think looking at music at a whole, as a whole, especially today, you know, especially with things like, like TikTok, for example, where it's like, if you have a song that goes viral on, t- viral on TikTok, like, boom, meal ticket. Right. And obviously, I do think there is a lot of artists today, you know, and in the last 20 years who obviously just make music to make it because it right. feels good. And that's how they, you know, go through whatever they're going through, show their vulnerability, whatever. But I think that that's less common than, you know, when this album was written or when all these songs were written. Um, and I think you are right. And there's a lot of themes like that in this where it's like, like George Harrison was so, I feel like unhappy and felt so unappreciated, especially the last few years of the Beatles. And a lot of these songs are written in that time period. And like you said, like, and they're just, they were some of like the, his best, just like commercially his songs which is really interesting so like again like he talks about these themes of that when he like kind of reached the peak of like you know like Beatlemania like he hated right. it like he hated it I think I remember I saw like I like I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw a video of him like as an older man mm-hmm. um like in the 90s and he was just talking about it. he's like yeah I can't do it imp- I won't even try to do an impression <laughs> I can't do it um he was like, yeah, I just don't like going like outside of my garden. I just want to like sit here and chill to like paraphrase, which is just like, yeah, that sounds like George Harrison. Yeah, and it was. You know? And it's funny too, because like the picture of him is just like sitting in a chair surrounded by garden gnomes. Like, it's just so, like, it's just yep. like so him. It's just like completely <laughs> yeah. so him. Um, and I think that's just a really good thing. It's just like, I think it's authentically himself in everything, like this whole album which is what which is what i want from an artist no matter what i'm listening to or what album what single whatever a body of work i want the artist or the person just to be true to themselves and like you i think you just so feel that everything off this album i agree there's no filter here where they're like like he's trying to write a hit song you know it's just him expressing how he feels you know We open up with I'd Have You Anytime. Um, written with uh, Bob Dylan when Harrison was visiting him and the band in Woodstock, New York in 1968. Um, love Woodstock, New York. Very close to where I am currently. And from. Of course. And to me, this song is like such, to me, it's just a beautiful song and kind of like a bearing of, a, of like his soul. I agree. I think it's... um. I think it was for me at least like I was thinking about its place on the track list and like ha- having a song be the first song yeah. uh, in an album like kind of places it in a certain like particular position, mm-hmm. especially when you think about like the way this music was consumed back in the day. It was meant to be listened mm-hmm. as a, 
like piece through the specific track list. I've always thought that like, at least for me, a lot of the albums I listen to, the track either starts at 100% or it starts at 0% and builds itself up. You know what I mean? Exactly. This one for me, like it starts at 50%, if that makes sense. It like kind of threads the needle in between. Mm. I definitely agree with what you're saying. It definitely provides like a window into him. You know what I mean? It just like it's like I think it's beautiful, beautifully subtle is the way I would put it, um, because it's not trying to. That's that, that, those are that those are great words. Yeah, together. I think it's it's not trying to go all out like like uh, like Wawa or whatever, and like immediately grab your attention with like a big like big bombastic track, and it's not trying to um, you know I guess like build you up eventually into it. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like here's how I feel. Like yeah. welcome to the it's like a welcome to the album. That's yeah. how I feel it is. You I, know? I was thinking about that too. I'm like, it's such an interesting first song for his real first solo stuff out of the Beatles. Yeah, and I think throughout this whole album, and it definitely you really get it with kind of this first song. Like the music entirely matches the words, and I think this is throughout the whole album. And I just think he he just had a way of just like music like he was just very musically talented and like kind of knew what worked and what sounded like right right i agree um i think it's um like sometimes like you'll hear songs that are like sound really happy and then you listen to the lyrics and like they're very sad <laughs> yeah they're or they're messed up and it's like it can be kind of funny actually when you listen to those songs um but i think it's it's very hard like like i feel like that's easier to do um, than to have like the lyrics, you know what I mean? To try and tra- like mm-hmm. almost translate the emotions and like the meaning of the song, not just through words, but also have it be correctly translated through music. You know what I mean? And I think what you're talking about, I think demonstrates like his like mastery of songwriting. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's better words that I was looking for. Right. And you just get it like right out the gate with this. Right. And I think for me, at least like, I wasn't like this was one of this is one song that I hadn't heard prior to like sitting down and listening to the whole album. Mm-hmm. Um and for me I thought it was like at least at first it was a bit of an odd choice. It's it's a it it grows yeah. on you, you know what I mean? I yeah, I think it's I, I mean like after digesting the whole work as like a whole and viewing everything in context, I think it was the right choice. Yeah, I agree. And I think like his relationship with Bob Dylan obviously is just really important to him. And also that's really seen throughout this album. And I don't know, maybe like that was also kind of like some reason why this was his the first one and just had because he co-wrote it with Bob Dylan. Right. Don't know. I didn't know he co-wrote it with Bob Dylan. I didn't know that. Yeah. They wrote a lot of songs together. The kind of like the standout lyric for me for this are I mean, I believe this is a chorus. It's all I have is yours, all you see is mine. And I'm glad to hold you in my arms. I'd have you anytime. It's just like, oh. Yeah. Definitely. No, I think I actually, I did the same thing. I picked those out as well. I don't know. Like, it's just the way of like, I like to think about like my, um, like my friends or like other like relationships I have with people. It's like, um, I think mm-hmm. it's just better when you share like what you have. It's like, oh yeah, all I have is yours. Completely. Like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, you can borrow my Yukon Masters of Accounting hat. Sure. Why not? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, or I can borrow your Yukon dad hat, you know? Exactly. It's like, take the shirt off my back. It's like, yeah. No, and, like, I think that's, like, what true good, like, friendships or relationships or, you know, whatever, connections with humans. Life is, like, miserable, but it's great to have, like, people by your side during the misery. Yeah, kind of. literally, yeah. And be like, you know, I've got you, I've got your back. Yeah. And, you know. 
and I think one of the best things about it too is that um like obviously there's a bit of a um romantic context and some of the other songs like have are more like specifically love oriented. Yeah. But a lot of them, even if like maybe they're more overtly romantic or love oriented, like they also apply to just I guess platonic friendships too. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't necessarily have yeah. to be with um somebody who you're in like a romantic relationship with, you know what I mean? I completely agree. Yeah. No, completely agree. I think I feel like I feel like that with a lot of just like love songs, quote unquote, it's like, obviously, like a lot of songs are, you know, in the pretense of like, romantic sexual relationships. Mm -hmm. But like a lot of just like the feelings of like in those songs, I feel those with all of my friends. It's just like, I love these people. All you see is mine. Exactly. You can really hear like how like he fundamentally appreciates the people in his life, which is something, you know, especially like in in these, um, maybe something I didn't quite see until recently compared to when I was in college, because obviously, you know, like times are crazy. Times are weird, especially in like now, like the past two years. Um, yeah, there's, been, there's been a lot of isolating time um, without mm-hmm. a lot of the people that, you know, yeah. I care about. So it's just nice to have, like, be able to have that perspective now, I guess, if there's a positive from like everything that's happening in the world, you know what I mean? So I think I appreciate that aspect of it more, you know? No, I think that's a great point. I think if if anyone's learned anything over just the last two years, it's just to really like appreciate the people in your life and like spend time with the people you love. And I think again, like this song, I think you're right. Like it can be seen in a very romantic lens, but it can really just be seen in like buddy, like yeah. a buddy buddy <laughs> lens. I don't like to say buddy buddy, but you want to be yeah. like a friend level. It's just like and then, yeah, I completely agree. we go into you know my sweet lord and and i was trying to find kind of the perfect words to describe this song and i think the word is a crescendo because we're starting with you know two chord song on the guitar and and it really builds up and then we're adding the drums and the bass and the background vocals and it really feels like a crescendo and and you have to think that this was the first single off the album and it's a wonderful way i think to introduce this era this album um, it's, I think it was a really good choice for the first single off the album. I agree. I think like musically, like at least for me, like the way I listen to music, I tend to, I don't really tend to focus mm-hmm. on lyrics for the most part, at least not initially. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's funny, like I'll be listening to songs for a while. Like I'll like hear songs like over and over again. And like, I won't know the lyrics, but like, I'll just like sound out the lyrics phonetically in my mouth. Um, a good example of this is like yellow lead better. I have no idea what the words are. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't, I don't even sounds. think I know what the yeah. words are either. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you could sing the words, but you don't know what you're saying. Totally. You know what I mean? It's like that. Um, but to me, at least what jumps out, like, I think you're definitely like spot on with like the way the music is constructed, but it's the, the lyrics for me that make the song stick out because I think this is obviously this is the, the second song on the album and it's the first track that starts to introduce his, I guess, philosophy yeah, definitely. on spirituality and that kind definitely, of thing. Definitely. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a bold choice in general. Um, second song off the album, but as it really describes kind of him finding also, you know, Indian philosophy when we talk about Hare Krishna and him trying to find out where he, like, was spiritually. And I think it was a bold, and I say it was a bold move because of the time period. You know, when we're talking about this, this is 1970. But, you know, the thing with George Harrison is, like, he knew who he was once he found it out. And he was never going to hide that. Yeah, like, but, like, think about it. It's, like, back to what I was saying. It's, like, we're, 
how many artists were talking about Hinduism? How many talking were talking about you know yeah. how many how many white how many right. white artists in 1970 were talking favorably about this Eastern philosophy, Eastern religion, um, like George Harrison? Yeah, for sure. And I think um, if you listen to uh, like let's say like Cashmere by Led Zeppelin, like they incorporated a lot of um, from like I guess like the, the the East or whatever they refer to that generally that area of the world. But like they didn't include obviously like the philosophical elements like, like not as much. Um, like having that overtly religious song talking about like his Lord not being the Christian God, I definitely think, and especially an era where um, like the satanic panic I think was oh, happening yeah. or about to oh, happen, yeah. you know what I mean? Where it's like, it's definitely a, like a bold choice, but again, like it kind of demonstrates that there's no filter about who he is to this like work. It just is who he is, you, you know what I mean? And and to me at least, it's something I appreciate because it um it presents an idea of God or like his Lord that um as a recovering Catholic appeals totally. to me because I think totally. it, it almost, it takes it off. Uh, it takes God off his pedestal because totally. all I like, at least totally. the, the conceptualization of religion that I had growing up was like, you go to mass, you know, the priest is up on a pedestal above everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus is up there hanging, you know, like he, like he does everywhere um, mm-hmm. up, up above you. Yeah. Chilling in the back. It's like the idea of almost like looking up because you're down below. It, does that make sense? Yeah, completely. It takes it off that pedestal and kind of presents his Lord as someone who's almost like a friend. Yeah. Which is something that I can kind of appreciate because yeah. it's not, um, there's not really as much of a power dynamic there, you know? Totally. And it's it's really like kind of also you think when you're younger, you're really kind of not taught, but you just kind of consume what's right in front of you. You don't have obviously much, a lot of critical thinking skills. And, you know, I was really, really involved in my, you know, Catholic uh, church from, you know, like birth to like 14, 15. And I think this is kind of um, a fault of organized religion in general, it's really not to question, or at least on like the very lower level, um, really not, you're not, you're not supposed to question it. You're just supposed to do. Accept it. Yeah. Accept it is a better word. And, yeah. you know, specifically, specifically with Catholicism, um, you're not, you're kind of taught that anything you do will really, um, you know, put you in hell. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, this, this song, um, back to the song, like this is really the start where we start seeing the theme in all of kind of George's religious song where he's kind of asking for forgiveness. And I wonder if that's really coming from that Christian mindset, which is, you know, always asking for forgiveness. Maybe um, that's true. Like, uh, like here, like, the, like not the last song, but the last song before the Apple Jams, I think. Um, Hear Me, Lord, I think is the most like... Mm-hmm. It's the one that takes me back most to like the confession boost or whatever, you know what I mean? But I think I think there's almost like a fundamental difference, mm-hmm. at least for me, for the idea of asking for forgiveness, because um, like I think at least like with the idea of original sin, a lot of like what the idea of asking for forgiveness is, is the idea of like, oh, you're being forgiven for who you are inherently as flawed human beings. And he's asking for forgiveness for his actions. Mm, that's interesting. Which is different, not something that's inherent to him. So at least the, the conceptualization of like, at least specifically Catholic like confession is that like, you confess, dust it off, you're good. Mm-hmm. But especially like, I feel like he's not trying to do that where he's just trying to get out like almost like a jail, out of, get out of jail free card. He's trying to do it where it's like, I want to work to be a better person. 
Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I never thought about it like that, but that's a very, I think that's a really good point. So we get to Wawa, which is the third track off the album, and it's definitely a completely different vibe than the first two songs. I wouldn't say My Sweet Lord is like a slow song, but the first two are definitely slower compared to when we hit Wawa. And this song, I think I think the better word is this song is just in your face and it's so good and it's just like a jam song. Like it's really good to listen to and jam out to. Like Kanye were saying earlier, like this song is a hundred percent immediately in your face. And, you know, I'd have you anytime is is kind of, you know, slow and mellow and my sweet lord's actually right. kind of build up, but damn, like this song is boom. Right, exactly. Like, I agree. It like kinda it just kinda smacks you, I guess. Like out of the gate. Oh my god, um, yeah. And to me, at least, like, it's nice because I think the focus that he's trying to, like, draw in with the listener when he wrote this song was not quite, at least, like, the lyrics, it was, like, the way the song is produced. I think the way, like, almost it creates a wall of sound. I like, I like to think of, like, conceptually, I like to conceptually think of, like, when I listen to music as I'm, I'm like, being surrounded yeah. by the sound waves. And I really get that with this song and especially with the production. Oh, my God. Totally, totally, totally agree. So this song, Wawa, was written on the day that George Harrison um, walked out on the Get Back sessions in 1969, in January 1969. January 10th, 1969. And it's really cool because you can see them, you can see George Harrison walking out um, on the from the Beatles on this day in, in that new uh, Peter Jackson film. I think knowing the context is also pretty cool and you know you don't need to know the context to know that this song like george harrison was fed up and you can really see that in that that documentary again that came out last year you know dude was undervalued underappreciated by you know john lennon paul mccartney and also like dude i'd be pissed if fucking yoko ono was just sitting there doing her crosswords nothing saying nothing you can just hear and see this frustration in the song in the lyrics and it's the way it's written yeah pretty much and, and we see it in one or two more songs especially on this album but george howard harrison was just unhappy he was undervalued and you know it, it truly was a shame in my opinion it truly was a shame and you know i'm a huge paul mccartney fan and i love john lennon's writing but um he they treated him like shit especially those last few years he was so unhappy it's a great example of like his guitar work too. You know what I mean? Because like I, I think um, I don't know. People think of George Harrison. I think mainly as like his ability to craft a song, um, not necessarily his like individual prowess on an instrument. This song is one of the examples, along with like obviously the jam sessions where they open up and kind of just like let it flow. Um, I think like musically, like you were talking about the lyrics, but also musically, it's a great um, like expression. I think it's just generally an expression of frustration. I completely agree mm-hmm. and like talk about that wall of sound like oh my god in this song too and um some of those standout lyrics for me were he, you know okay. he says like you know you made me such a big star like really talking about the Beatles and I think he says you know um I don't need no wawa and I know how sweet life can be if I keep myself yeah. free again it's just like breaking free from the Beatles and fame and that fame I agree definitely I think like um the way he like incorporates different instruments, like the horn parts and everything, and like the way his slide guitar cuts through the mix. Um, I think it's like honestly, like I know we didn't have this question, but like what song would you go on a drive to? You know, like on like a summer day? Okay, well it'd be this one. 
you know, I think for me. That's a good question, actually. I might add that on. But um, that's an interesting point. I don't okay. know if it, this okay. would be it for me. I think I have a okay. few more, but this is definitely a good one. And I was definitely driving to it this morning. And, you know, it's a vibe. It definitely is. Nice. So we leave this kind of, like, frustration and in your face frustration then then we come in to go to a different frustration with isn't it a pity which honestly this is probably one of my favorite songs off of this record i i, I absolutely love this song isn't a pity version one I, I absolutely love this song and a fun fact that i learned about this song was um a fun fact that i learned was okay. in the get back sessions george harrison revealed that um, John Lennon rejected the song three years earlier, so that was 1966, and um, George thought about offering it to Frank Sinatra, and which just makes me laugh because I could not imagine um, Frank Sinatra <laughs> singing this song, you know? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think there are recorded versions of him singing it. I could be incorrect, though. Frank I have Sinatra? To, like, yeah. Oh, my God, I'm up. Actually, I'm going to Google it right now. Okay, no, I was wrong. Okay, disregard everything I said. Thanks. Maybe it's maybe it's out there. You never know. I don't know. Damn, you're nothing but a a dirty liar. You're a liar and a dirty, dirty cheat. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I, I really do love this song. And um, again, it's that musical crescendo and that buildup that really kind of adds to to what George is is really talking about in this song. And to me, the real message of the song is like you're going to get your heart broken. You're going to break someone's heart. And that is just life. That is just human nature. And it fucking sucks. Like, isn't it a pity? But it's going to happen, you know? Yeah. No, exactly. I, I, I really agree with that. It's almost like, um, it's not like he's casting a moral judgment saying like, oh, this is bad because I think this, like I am saying this is bad for my like, you know, vantage point. Like, yeah. Again, it's like talking about like that podium. He's not above us. We're on mm -hmm. equal ground. Yeah, exactly. Being like, oh, like, we're all going to fuck each other over eventually. Like, that's just how life is. Like, you just got to shake your head and just be like, damn, this sucks. Like, we all treat each other wrong. We should all treat each other better. You know, we all put each other through bullshit yeah. drama. Like, you know what I mean? And it was funny. I actually wrote this down in the notes that he's saying, like, we shouldn't forget to give back to each other. So, like, you know, George said mutual aid and everything. Oh um, and I think what's interesting, too, about this comp is compositionally, I, it's definitely up there. It's, I don't think it's my favorite song on the album, but it's definitely up there because I think, like, compositionally, it's like the quintessential George Harrison song because it's got that descending chord progression. It, it sounds similar if you listen to something on Abbey Road. It's the same thing. It's oh like God, his trademark yeah, totally. where it's like that descending kind of movement yes. that is characteristic yes, in his yes, songwriting. Yes, yes. And like you were saying, kind of adds to the building. I think if people, like, if people haven't listened to it, I think not only should they listen to this version, but also the live version on the concert for George that Billy Preston sings. Yeah, that's a great version. You know, not to not to cast judgment on George's singing voice, but I think Billy Preston is a, is a stronger singer. So I think that version especially kind of conveys the emotion of the song. Um, uh, I, I, agree, I agree. Love Billy Preston. Love all the concert for George um, songs. But um, yeah, this song, and it's like a, this song's like a seven minute song. And the last three minutes, I think what makes it my favorite song is of the album is because again talking about that wall of sound and we're going to be talking about it and we have talked about it a lot it's you know it's the like it's the repeating of isn't it a pity it's the repeating mm -hmm. of the please and it just like boom it hits you like it does hit you like a wall right right i agree it just really opens up and kind of just like bears everything the song has to offer to the listener you know yeah, yeah. 
completely, completely agree. So, so this song, What Is Life, um, I would consider this as my traffic song. So the only actual real note I have on this song is, um, this song always makes me think of Harry Styles because, um, on his last tour, Love on Tour in the U.S., um, he, um, he, um, no, he didn't play it. He had it on, he had it on the, like, pre-show. It, oh, it would have been so good if he did play it, though. I know, right? But, um, right? but, uh, no, he had it on his, like, pre-show playlist. Yeah that he curated himself so before every show this would be one of the songs i would play um so it always makes me think of harry mr harry styles now do you think like musically do you think like do you hear any similarity to harry's music or do you think like he was influenced by it i would say to a degree yes um i think harry was really influenced by all the beatles and all their solo music like he he does talk a lot about um paul mccartney's ram and um i know he loves some of like john lennon and and um ono and like the plastic ono band like their first records um and he does talk about this album Mm -hmm. too but you could probably hear some similarities i can't like think of any off the top of my head though but i i would say overall was influenced by this album yeah i agree no um and i think this is the main song on the album. I think that's really like the celebration of like the absurdity of life. Oh and God, I hadn't yeah. really like, like the, the point you made about Harry Styles is interesting too, because I think like a big theme that runs through his music is almost like also like a, a celebration, a celebratory theme. Yeah. I, I could see that. Like for me, at least it's like, you know, like I said, I identify as a spiritually confused person. I don't really know generally what, what goes on at all. Like, I don't really know what's happening. Um, and like at the end of the day, like you just I think it's like one of those things where you just gotta stop like worrying about it and just kind of embrace the flow of chaos. Yeah, like you, know, you might as well enjoy yourself. Absurdity. That's right. You know. But I mean he also says like, you know, what is my life like without your love? Tell me who am I without you without you know what I mean? So another thing where he's mentioning like, oh Yeah. Like, yeah, life is great, but what really makes it worth living is um everyone else around you, you know? No, I, I completely agree and it's kind of like that first song um, I'd have you any time it's like this life and talking about some of the things already this life is so crazy and absurd and you just have to go with the flow I feel like at the end of the day and it's all peaks and valleys um it's kind of like what I've been saying recently it really is all peaks and valleys and you just gotta push through and I think what makes it great and what makes it worth it, you, you know, even in the lowest valley or the highest peak is, is the people who are going through this absurdity, this crazy life with you and celebrating life and every day, it, 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 it makes it all worth it to me, you know, the misery, it does make it worth it when you have amazing people by your side going with, going through it with you, you know? I can see why, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I can see why, like, this would be, like, your driving song, because I feel like, at least for me, like, like when we're like I don't know like when we I don't know oh like God, like what are you um about to say right now like like driving mode Kylie I don't know like I feel like it's a specific like mode you get into like does that make sense Have you never seen her Have you ever driven with me I don't think you Wait, might have It was but one like, just... time It was one time my sophomore year in college It was um right before my sophomore year started. Oh I remember Okay but here's the thing about that That was before I got my speeding ticket and before I became a reformed driver 
after I got my right. speeding ticket in the fall of that year, yep. I became a reform driver. I became such a better driver after that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, you are totally right. Like when I drive, like well, I love to drive. Right. And one of the main reasons why I love to drive is I love to listen to music while I drive. And yeah, it's totally a zone. It's totally a vibe. Um, and yeah, this is just one of those songs. I'm like, fuck yeah. Like this makes driving worth it. Yeah. Like listening to this listen to the song windows down like yeah exactly and i think um like there's something i don't know there's something special on like a really nice day like putting the windows oh down God, yeah and just like blasting you know what i mean like yeah. when you ca- like when you came um when you came up to visit um and we went over to collins zone we were driving back you remember on the summer oh my god um, yeah we're listening to bruce yeah yeah exactly yeah rosalita i think that yeah i could see now that i think about it this i don't know I don't know if I'm going to change my my submission for favorite driving song, but okay. Well, it's not a real question, but <laughs> I'll think about it. So we leave that celebration mode to probably one of my another favorite off this album, which is "If Not for You," and I absolutely love this song so much. So, a fun fact about this song that I did not know is this is originally a Bob Dylan song. I think Mm -hmm. it's off the album New Morning. Um, And I listened to the Bob Dylan song, and I much prefer the Harrison version to it. Why is that? I think the reason is not that the Bob Dylan version is upbeat. The the George Harrison version, I think, just, like, means more to Mm -hmm. me. It's more of, like, telling the story, the romance, um, the emotions, whereas the Bob Dylan one's just a little too Bob Dylan for me, if that makes sense. It's like when I listen to the lyrics, the slow tempo works for the song, works for the emotions, you know? Gotcha. Yeah, I, um, it's, it's, I had no idea this was originally by Bob Dylan. I guess it's kind of like a joke that, like, every song is originally by Bob (laughs) Dylan, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many of them. Oh my god! Like, isn't like I think yeah. Wagon Wheel like is there? Like just like is it? I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I and I haven't actually listened to the Bob Dylan version. You definitely should. Um, you definitely definitely should. This song and like you know what the song makes me feel like this song gives me the vibe of it's like okay, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful 75 degree day, sunny out. A little wind but nothing too crazy and i'm in the park there's a pit there we have a blanket out we're in some deli meat some cheese we got a joint and we're drinking some red wine that that feeling that i would have there is how i feel when i listen to this song exactly there's no other words to describe yeah i can it. definitely see that and like how we like how the lyrics reference nature for me um i don't know if i can connect with this one as much i don't i don't know why it doesn't speak to me as much mm. as you I guess, you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess. I'll have to listen to the, the, the Bob Dylan version, but yeah. You definitely should, but also full full transparency here. I only listened to like the first 30 seconds oh, okay. of it, but I could, that's still my judgment. Yeah. I still think that's my judgment. Right, exactly. But like, like I said, like I have such a vision of what it should look like and what it should sound like that anything that doesn't sound like the George Harrison mm-hmm. version, just like does not sound right to me it's because i have it so in my head of what it's supposed to be like you know true i mean like like it'd be interesting to do it in reverse where like you know and you love like let's say you know the bob dylan version well first and then you listen to you know what i mean yeah it'd be interesting to see but 
We can't do that. Yeah, we can't, uh, can't travel back in time. <laughs> no, not yet. Um, continuing our conversation on Bob Dylan, we have Behind That Locked Door, which was written um, by George Harrison for Bob Dylan as like um, a kind of a sign of encouragement when Bob Dylan returned to live music in 1969. I mean, um, live performing. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is um, a great song. Has a Mm-hmm. has a little country twang you know i love my country twang yes you do you do um and i think the message behind the song is a very beautiful thing of friendship and encouragement wait so wait so this was written to bob dylan as like a sign of encouragement for him to come back to live performing okay yeah also i'm like paraphrasing all of my research but um supposedly yeah bobby bobby said like I know him Bob Dylan was like really nervous about coming back nervous central um about coming back to live performing so uh, George Harrison hey said hey baby stop like he said why are you still crying Mm -hmm. come behind that locked door um and said baby baby boy it's all good don't even nervous you know wow I didn't know that I always assumed that like he shout out to beetlebible.com you know (laughs) shout out to them Bless the people who work, the hard work of the people who, you know, put in the hours. Yeah, like whoever, yeah. whoever maintains that site, it, it is a Bible. It's huge. There's so much information yeah. on there. Yeah. So big shout out. That's to crazy. Um, yeah, because I'd always like, I don't know, I, I feel at least for me, like it's two people in a relationship and like somebody shut themselves in like the bathroom or something and refuses to come out. Like I've always thought like maybe that like actually happened to him or well, something. Maybe it did happen with him and Bob Dylan. Like maybe it's that's happen. true. Yeah, that's true. You never know. <laughs> oh my god! Like Bobby, come out! Oh my no. god! <laughs> but like, I think that's a good point and good things to bring up in this conversation. Um, is you know the beauty of music is obviously there's an idea going into it, um, and but you as the listener can can think of it in any way. Like when I first heard the song, I really thought it was like um a child and a parent. Um, cause that's the kind of vibe it, it gave off to me when I first listened to it. Yeah. That's interesting. I like, I'd never thought about it like that before. I'd always thought about it. Like, um, did you wait, did you vis- like, had you, um, like visualize it in that way where it's like, you feel like I two people so. on like different sides, like opposite sides of a wall kind of, or like, how, yeah. how would you, I, w- yeah. I, I, I would say so. I, I, and that's why I think it, like, I really did think of like when you're a child and, you're upset you you know you close your door and you know you you don't come out yeah exactly and that's kind of how i envision it and like the you know maybe maybe it's not like they're upset but you know there's some tension going on and they're upset and they you know don't know how to go through their feelings or or whatever Uh, that's how i always saw it you know um i think like and I think I've used these words already, and I'm going to continue probably using these. But it's so, like, simple and beautiful. Um, and it really could portray any relationship, you know, platonically, romantically, um, a parent or a child. Um, it really could describe any, you know, two-person relationship um, at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think... Um... To me, at least, prior to knowing about the context with Bob Dylan, um, the way I'd always thought about this song, I wrote down that it kind of made me think like you want somebody to come back to you, right? To like have a relationship with yeah. you, you know, r- romantic or um, platonic, whatever. 
but sometimes like what drives people apart in relationships and what causes them to fall out of each other's lives isn't necessarily like a uh, conflict or the dynamic they have between the two of them. It's through external factors that they can't even control. That's what it makes me think of. You know what I mean? Where it's yeah, like, totally, totally get it. Like just the ways of how like your life flows. Yeah. And just doesn't, like it up. diverts from people. Like and sometimes people just fall out of your life and that just happens, you know? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think um, this is funny because I've been having like some of these conversations with some of my like, you know, my my home friends. And it's like there are so many people who we just like don't talk to anymore. And it's yeah. not because we did them dirty or they did us dirty. It's just like people grow up, people get busy and like everyone is busy. Like I'm busy, you're busy. Like, it's just growing up. And, and it's funny because, like, there are some people in my life currently, I'm like, yeah, yeah damn, like, we're going to grow apart yeah. real soon um, just because of just life. And, you know, it's a lot easier when you're mm-hmm. close to people, you know. It's a, it's, it's a lot easier when you're, like, physically closer to someone while, while as, you know, a lot of my friends now, like, I, I don't know. I think maybe the closest friend to me is an hour and a half physically. And it, and I'm not saying that, like, I don't have friends who are, like, I'm close with who live, like, four hours away from me. I do, yeah. but well, yeah. it's a lot easier to maintain a friendship when you are 20 minutes away from them. It's just like life, like, just takes you in different directions. Things change rapidly, and you just kind of got to roll with it. And sometimes people, like, you just go on to different paths. You know what I mean? And I think, I don't know, at least for me, you're talking about, like, how the song is yeah. so simple, and it is. But I think... um it kind of shows how um, it kind of showcases the beauty of his songwriting because um, it's not quite a blank canvas, yeah. but it's a canvas that changes depending on the person who's looking like who's interpreting it. You know what I mean? Like it's different for everybody else. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I never really seen it in, in the viewpoint you do. So it, it is interesting to think about it like that. And that was, those are really good points to bring up Thanks. with this song. And with, yeah. So we leave behind that locked door to let it down. We unlock the door. <laughs> yes, we unlock the door to let it down. So this song was another Let It Be reject, Beatles reject. Um, but the only really note I wrote for the song was George is cheating on his wife, Patty, Patty Boyd, and he kind of feels bad about it. It was basically the whole gist of the song. I mean, like, at least he felt bad about it. I don't know. Like, it's shitty that he did it. But like, Yeah. And, and this is, like, a theme that we're going to see throughout. Like, George Harrison was a ladies' man. Like, he got laid. But anyway, like, this song, it, like, kind of flows in between the chorus and the um, verses. So, like, the verses are, like, definitely the apologizing. They're very, you know, they're slower. And then the chorus, it, like, hits you. And it's, like, you know, let your hair hair down. Let your love astound me. Um, and George doesn't care. George is like, just let it happen, baby, in the chorus. Um, and that's where you hit that 100%. But then the verses are, you know, slower. And that's more of that, you know, apology. Yeah. I, I think for me, I never really like, um, like, I didn't know that it was about, like, that subject. You know what I mean? Um, to me, like, the defining, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, like, characteristic of the song is, like, the dynamic contrast between the different parts of it you know what i mean yeah like the chorus and the verses going yeah through those um, and it's vibes. like it's just like it's almost like you're listening to two different songs if that makes sense like they don't quite it, it's like they almost don't quite fit 
but oh, they do totally totally you know? get what you're saying and i think i think the what like the way the why why it's so different is because it really is like i do think he did feel bad about it like i really do but he's also you know giving into his human desires as you know mm-hmm. you know uh that kind of thing and i think that shows that real duality between him it's he feels bad about it but also like he's still he's still doing it like he's still stepping out on patty and um, I think that's just shown in, you know, again, that that vibe between the chorus yeah, and the sure. verses. Um, it's, got, it's got good guitar work, too, on it. I appreciate it. Totally, totally, totally. So we hit um, Run of the Mill. And Run of the Mill, definitely a sadder song, um, was written during the Beatle breakup. Beatles break up and this really you can really get the reflection not only in the song title but just 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 George was very frustrated and he felt so undervalued by you know John and Paul and he was constantly compared to them um and he felt average and you know when you think of Mm -hmm. run of the mill you think you know you just think of average and he was constantly being put below john and paul by them by george martin right Um, i believe um actually this is like the the reason he called it run of the mill is because that's what john described his songwriting oh my god it was just like john like come on yeah john john i mean is that is that surprising it's not it's not surprising at all that's a very john thing to say well like yeah just because like you're good at writing songs doesn't justify you being uh, a dick of a human being yeah um (laughs) and um but anyway um I don't know, like, to, to me, like, this was, um, this is definitely, like, uh, a staple. Um, it might be, it might be my favorite song. It might be. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good song. My other note was the horns. Like, I really do appreciate the horns in this song. And throughout the album, but this song specifically. Yeah. Um, I think I also wrote that, that it's, like, um, I think it's one of the saddest songs in the album. It's to me, it, there, it, yeah. it, it evokes, like, like, I've been in situations in the past where it's, like, you know, romantic or platonic where you feel like you're giving somebody 80% and they're only giving you 20% back. Oh yeah. And it's like, you get this feeling of, it's like, well, what am I doing here? Like, what am I doing? And, and I think, you know, I think in relationships, obviously it's okay that like sometimes you lean on another person or, or they lean on you, you know, life sucks, things happen. But when it's consistent like that, it's it's it really makes you feel like shitty it really makes you feel like what am i doing here and i've been in oh my god i could name (laughs) i'm not gonna drop any names here but you know i i there there are totally so many situations i could think of in the past year in the past year where i have felt like that and it's it's so demeaning um and it really makes you feel like your time and your love is like worthless in a way it's like watching somebody drift, like, like, it just like, it's a fundamentally sad image of like trying to hold on to somebody and they're just fading away from you and there's like nothing you can do about it. Um, like that to me is just like a fundamentally sad um, idea, you know? And it's happened to me. Like, I think feel like for the most part, it happens to everybody. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, completely. And I do agree. It is, it is sad and you know, I think you and I are very similar where it's like when we love our friends, we love them. And, you know, I love my friends like my family. I, I, I didn't have a big family growing up. So that's kind of yeah, a pseudo replacement in some way. 
but you know I truly like I love with all my heart and it and not to get you know a decent amount of that love back it, it it's sad and it, and it's painful it really is um I think the lyrics to, to me at least like that stick out were um everyone is choice when to or not to raise their voices it's you that decides which you will turn while feeling that our love's not your concern it's you that decides it, it's like I don't know if it's an anger but he's certainly placing blame on them it sounds like to me right yeah, I, I agree. Um, the notes that I am at, the lyrics that I had, um, tomorrow when you rise, another day for you to realize me or send me down again. As the days stand up on end, you've got me wondering how I lost your friendship, but I see it in your eyes. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's him putting the blame on the other person, but I think it's a thing of it's like, well, you need to realize that like you could have done something different could have done something right. different and i would yeah. we would still be good we'd still be chill but you you again is i putting blame maybe but it's just making sure the other person right. realizes that they could have done more to save this and it's like it's not anything i did it's like you're like it's on you you know like i'm already doing everything i can and then you know whether or not the next person you know you make that decision it's on you it's not anything related to me um but yeah it, it's just it, it's interesting how like he can make a very like because i think um this largely came out of like his conflict towards the end of the, um, the Beatles, you know, but it's interesting how he represented in such a way that it's like, obviously there's very, very few people on this earth who are going to experience anything similar to what life was like being in a band with a dynamic, like the Beatles. Oh my God. You know what I mean? But he's able to represent it in such a universal yeah. fashion. You know what I mean? I think that's why yeah. I like it so much, you know? And no, I, I completely agree. And I think that's what makes a good artist. It's it's taking an experience that happened to you. Beatlemania, like God, who? how many other people have experienced that? And being able to write in such a way where someone could relate to their life. And that's like probably one of the biggest reasons why I personally listen to music and why I think mm -hmm. George Harrison is such an amazing artist is like I listen to music because I have such a hard time saying how I feel mm -hmm. Um, which is funny because I have this. This is happening. The show, or and I have a, such a hard time being vulnerable, and I listen to music because it says what I can't, what I can't verbalize, and for someone to 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 just explain like losing a person, losing a friend, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's something I can relate to. Someone yeah. anyone can relate to. And Definitely. Um, he says it beautifully. I I do also think like we were talking about. Um, like people like with um behind that locked door. I think it also does like at least to me also have a hint of like uh like not that people choose not to be friends with you, it's just that sometimes people drift apart just cuz it happens. You know what I mean? Like I like um I keep in touch with three people from like my high school era. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know what I mean? And I think a lot about like the different people like I didn't I faded away from and it kind of makes me think like I I don't know. Um like, did they experience those feelings? Yeah. Like, he's describing the song. Did I do that to them? You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. Yeah, and, like, you can connect it to Isn't It a Pity. You're going to do this to everyone. Everyone's going to get their heart broken. Yeah. You're going to break someone's heart without yeah. meaning There's it. There's only 24 you know? hours in the day. Yeah, and, like, um, I can't think of the actual quote right now, but it's reminding me of it. It's, like, you can't control other people's reactions you cannot control other people you can only control yourself and that's a really hard thing to learn right um especially like for me i'm a people right. pleaser um a lot of people are people mm -hmm. pleasers but you cannot you know you cannot 
you may have you might have the best intentions in the world but they might not get that the other person um but you you can only control yourself right definitely um like combining this song with like um everything that like is going on like i've had to do a lot of like i guess introspection or like just internal thought process about like what um like what brings like me happiness you know mm-hmm. what what brings joy um mm-hmm. like what really matters and like being denied i guess like standard form like human interaction for so long i think it made me realize it was like it's not um at least for me like it's not going to be a career or anything like that it's like keeping in touch with the people that matter to you you know what i mean oh yeah um completely, completely. and then like <laughs> the feeling of being sad that i haven't really been able to do that and something that i want to be better at yeah you know what I mean? I think the fact that the song exemplifies that, like, I yeah. think is why it's my favorite. If I, if I had to describe why, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, that makes complete sense and totally feel you on so many levels there. So we come from, you know, this kind of frustration with other people and the relationship with other people to beware of darkness, which I think is the kind of frustration you have with yourself and for me it's really the telling of like you know there we all have these very dark parts in our brain and I think it's like that anxiety you get and when you get that anxiety and these very you know self Mm -hmm. um, deprecating thoughts it just goes over and over and over and it's a circle and you can't break out of it and I think it's kind of saying beware of that right. and that's going to happen but you have to be aware I, I think of that. it's interesting that um he picked like the word darkness um because mm-hmm. like he uses like there's um like he picks like like yeah. in the lyrics like he picks like sadness uh maya oh. which i don't know what that is but i, I think you notes. wrote in your notes yeah, yeah um, we'll get to that the hindu it mean it's a hinduism it means um design for illusion i'm pretty sure and um accepting the the temporary accepting the temporary right interesting right he he says to be aware of so many different things but he chooses darkness i think for me it specifically evokes like the um the late nights when you're in your room it's dark you're trying to fall asleep you're surrounded by darkness the feeling of like you were saying like the thought loops um just literally only being able to see and think the negative about your life and yourself you know what i mean where you can't sleep um that's kind of what it brings to me, you know? Yeah, completely. And I, I had a moment like that very recently. I was very high. Okay. <laughs> I'll be honest. We've all been there. And I was kind of like, I basically, I think I was having an anxiety attack, I would say. And I was trying to fall asleep, fall asleep. And my mind just kept racing and going in circles yeah. and circles about, you know, whatever. And I was just so anxious. And yeah, exactly mm-hmm. what you just described. That's how I felt. It was, yeah. um, you know, and I've, done, I've had those moments before, but it's terrifying. It's scary. If you don't mind me asking, like, is there like usually like things like what are the things that like, is there like common things that you think about like, like commonly or is it like different depending on time? Oh, it's death. I'm always thinking yeah. about death. Yeah. Constantly thinking about death. Um, death of myself, death of people, my family, death of my friends and people in my life. I'm, yeah. I'm constantly thinking about death and which is not great. Um, and also I feel like that's kind of surprising for me as a person, but, um, I think it's my way of being okay with it and knowing that it's going to happen. 
um, is just constantly thinking about it or, or another way of it's like, and I hate saying this, but you know, you appreciate the good things because there's bad things in the world. Um, there, there would be no light without darkness. And that's another like kind of hard thing to really reckon with. And, you know, again, talking about religion and stuff, it's like, well, how could there be a God with, with suffering, but or how could there be a God in so much suffering? But it's a thing of it's like, well, without the, if there was no suffering, there'd be no joy. There's going to be no happiness. Again, it's kind of fucked up to say, but it's kind of the truth, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about death. Um, and that's constantly going on in my head. What is time if there's no end? Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so I'm constantly thinking about death and uh, disappointing people. I hate to disappoint people. Right. So that would be probably my darkness. Yeah, I I agree. I I have the same thoughts. Um, like I like I'm gonna reference. Okay, you ever heard of Avenge Sevenfold? Oh my God! Yes, my my yeah. friend Nicole was so um, into them in high school. Yeah, yeah, I know them. Yeah, no, no, yeah, they're great. They're great. They're a great band. They're not my favorite. They're not my favorite band, but they're definitely like you know, especially like high school era. Sam <laughs> loved Avenge Sevenfold. I can see that. But they have a song called Acid Rain. And it's the one lyric they, they have that has really stuck with me. It's, um, uh, life wouldn't be so precious, dear, if there never was an end. Yeah. Completely. You know? And I think, completely. like, what motivates, like, I think for me, too, especially, like, during college, is, like, when I was, like, kind of getting introduced to this album. Um, it was, like, me coming to terms with, like, um, going, I guess it's, like, I don't know if it's, like, a process similar to the stages of grief, but it's kind of like that, where, like, um, you go through denial first. Like I realized like it, it kind of hit me because I feel like when you're young, at least for the most part, unless you go through some like near death experience or super traumatic thing, you just kind of assume immortality. You don't really let it like cross your mind. And then like, it just kind of hit me. I was also really high one night. And it just, I remember like, I remember this, this is going to be, this is a flashbulb moment in, in my memory. It was, I was junior year. I was just sitting, I was high and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> it was the realization that I was going to die yeah. eventually. It, you know, it happens. It really does. It, it is crazy. It it felt like it was coming from like some like like it felt like darkness. Yeah, it is. It yeah, it feels like that. Was there like anything going on that like you may have that realization? I know, I know, like a lot of things were going on for you in that year. So I'm just curious if you anything. I don't remember, remember specifically like bad happening in my life in fact there, there was a lot of good things happening in my life like you know college was going well mm-hmm. great time i was having a great the like, college was a great time yeah, um having, nothing time. i could really say to complain it yeah um so like it was like pretty much like an expressly positive part of my life mm-hmm. so like having that contrast with like you know like the most negative thing that yeah. could really happen to you basically like that realization yeah to me like it, it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks i don't know yeah. and i've had to, like i'm still like I've, everybody works through it like throughout mm-hmm. to the end of their life you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like I feel to me it's saying that like you can't you should be aware of it but like not to um obsess over it yes. does that make sense complete sense that makes so much sense when I had my like really good therapist um she was great she would say it's like the, these anxieties in this darkness like you need to recognize it in your brain and you need to obviously there are some things that are very very serious and we're just talking about, you know, the idea of, you know, we're all going to die one day. But obviously, bad mm-hmm. things you should talk to someone about. And, and, you know, it's very concerning. But with the smaller stuff, well, not, it's not small, but you know what I mean. 
um, you just have to kind of accept it because anxiety right. is your brain playing tricks on you and like realistically there's no reason for us to be upset about death at the moment like realistically um, we're both healthy people but you know that doesn't stop our brain from being concerned about it and I think it's also a thing of it's like well when we think about we think about death because we want to be grateful for and you know really live in the moment for today and yeah I, I yeah the song it really brings up a lot of these these thoughts and these questions you know yeah and I think for me it's about like reframing the anxiety around that into a positive thing where it's like like oh no like ev- like me and everyone else I know is going to die eventually which is true you know what I mean but it's like instead of saying that I'd be like okay that's going to happen one day but like man that really makes me appreciate the fact that like you know I got to hang out with somebody today you know what I mean you you live in the moment yeah and you appreciate the moment and I think that's if if that's one thing COVID in the last two years has really made me think about and, and appreciate is that and you know not you know taking tomorrow as granted um, which I think I've always felt, I think I've always, always felt like that, but <clears throat> like I said, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about the, these things for a very long time. Um, I sound like a troubled child, but yeah, I, I have been thinking about these things for a very long time and, but it, COVID has only heightened it, but it makes you appreciate the days, the good, it makes you appreciate every day and every moment. Like you said, like hanging out with a good friend, like it makes me appreciate that more when I know, you know, we're going right. to die. <laughs> As morbid as that sounds, yeah. Right, exactly. It's the it's the motive. It's like it's the motivator for doing what, getting what you want out of life while you have it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're gonna end this episode on that note. Um, we're kind of halfway through the album ish, kind of, and we're gonna take uh, a break. And the rest of the episode will be next week. Um, Sam, how are you? Well, how are you feeling so far? We're doing like a uh, like a halftime press conference here. God, yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> we are doing halftime press conference. Rest of the episode will be next week. Yeah, right. Well, I'm feeling hungry. Um, okay. Because I should have eaten something early. No, no, I'm just kidding. Oh my God. I am hungry, but that's not. I'm well, just me joking. too. Um, so let's. I don't go. know. I'm feeling good. I wasn't quite sure, like what. Um, this is going to be like but i think i'm definitely pleased with how it's turned out oh well i'm, um, I'm very happy about this. i'm definitely i you know i i would give I a good review on yelp you know oh all my that god um well we will be back next week um for the rest of all things must pass all things must pass again um so be sure to join us where we'll get into the namesake of the album all things must pass um other songs i that's the only one like apple scruffs uh, the art of dying i'm pretty sure and all those other songs um make sure to give us a follow on whatever platform you're listening on spotify apple music it really helps us out and give us a follow on instagram at my records and me and um i will oh give us a rating that really helps me out um it'll make you feel good about yourself um so yeah join me and sam back next week and We're going to finish the album. Bye.